Take your Bibles and turn to Micah chapter 5. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. You know, a lot of people come to this time of the year, and their thinking is primarily, if not completely, about a babe in a manger and coming to worship that babe in a manger. But if that baby had not gone into manhood, and if that baby had not gone to the cross, and if that baby had not been crucified, if that baby had not been buried, if that baby had not risen again, and if that baby had not ascended into heaven, folks, we would still be in our sin today. Those who wear the title Christian, whether they impose that upon themselves or whether the world calls them Christian, we observe, we celebrate, we honor, we commemorate, we remember Jesus, and we celebrate his birth. And I think that's okay. We celebrate his birth, and we ought to honor his death. We ought to be thankful that the Son of God came into this world, born into human flesh, born of a virgin, just like God said he would be, because he could become the perfect sacrifice for our sin. God had told Israel many times and in many different ways, as I mentioned a moment ago, that the Messiah would come, that he would send a Savior into this world. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I could go on and on and on with verses where God is announcing to Israel a Savior's coming. And here in our text, he said he's coming right there. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. We know that Israel looked for a military man. They looked for a mighty ruler. They looked for someone who could help them throw off the shackles of the Roman Empire. And therefore, again, they ignored that baby that was born in a manger. Now let me assure you today, because next Sunday is December 25th, okay, this is, a, this is not the only Christmas message you're going to get this month, okay? <laughs> December 25th is not the beginning of Jesus. Get what I said. December 25th is not the beginning of Jesus. It is the day that we have chosen to celebrate, to commemorate his birth, his coming into this world. Now, I don't know, I personally don't believe that Jesus was born on December 25th. I've studied how that date came about, and I'm not going to spend time talking about that this morning. Uh, I rather think there's some other dates that could be given. But anyway, Jesus came into this world, just like the Word of God says he came into this world, and he is just as eternal as God is, okay? The coming of Jesus is special to us. What I want to do this morning is talk about Jesus. I mentioned in the Sunday school class, we were studying in the third chapter of Acts, and after Peter had healed the lame man, Peter didn't take any credit for it. Peter said it's by the name of Jesus that this man was healed. And I pointed out that all glory, 
ought to go to Jesus. That's what we do in our worship services here. All glory goes to Jesus. If you notice, for the last several months, our sign at the very top of it has said Jesus. And I don't know how long I can continue that, but I'm getting ready. I've got to change the sign and just got to say, now we celebrate the birth of him. And next week, we're looking forward to living the new year with him. But it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. So I want to talk this morning about the eternal Jesus, the preeminent Jesus, and best of all, the coming Jesus, folks. Let's go back to our text for just a moment and see how clearly God told Israel that Jesus would come. Again, he says, Bethlehem Ephratah, yet out of these shall he come forth unto me that is be ruler in Israel. Listen to this. Whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Going forth talks about his descent. It talks about the source of someone. It talked about the source of something. And so he's come from of old. From of old talked about anciently. It talks about that person, that thing that is ancient and then everlasting literally means, I like this, time out of mind. Have you ever tried to think about eternity? You know what that is? That's time out of mind, folks. Can you imagine, first of all, and here's why some people have a problem accepting God because God is eternal. God has no beginning, no ending. And some people can't imagine that, can't quite grasp that. We can't grasp that with our finite minds, but we have a God who is eternal, who has no beginning. And one of these days when we go to be with the Lord, we're going to live on into eternity and have no ending we will have an ending in this flesh, but in our spirits we will not. And so we will live into eternity. Now can you grasp that? Well, when will it end? It won't. It's eternal. It is time out of mind. It was referred to as the vanishing point. I can think so far, but folks, I can't think past eternity. And so look at what God is saying to Israel. The one who is coming is eternal. He's coming from time out of mind. He's coming from that point that you cannot imagine. In fact, basically what Micah is saying to us, or God is saying to us through Micah, is that he is the ancient of days. Listen to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the ancient of days, and they brought him near before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed." We look forward to the coming of Christ, don't we? We pray. We're supposed to pray. We're taught to pray for the coming of Jesus. And one of these days he's coming. He'll set up his millennial kingdom upon this earth. And after a thousand years, God will create this, melt this thing down and create a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be with him eternally there. But somebody put it this way, Daniel 7, 13 and 14. Somebody put it this way. He has given authority, honor, and sovereignty over all the nations of the world so that the people of every race and nation and language would obey him. His rule is eternal. It will never end. His kingdom will never be destroyed. I tell you what, when King Jesus sets up his throne, it will never be destroyed. 
Listen to what Revelation says. They're praising Jesus in the book of Revelation, especially chapters 4 and 5. And chapter 4, verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Chapter 5 says this, verse 13, And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. The eternal Jesus He's as eternal as God is, and he will be eternal as God is. Reminds me of Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. You're familiar with those verses. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, talking about Jesus, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You know what it says? Jesus is the one. Jesus is the eternal one. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And so John 1.1, 1, 1, John declares that Jesus was right there with God in the beginning. In the beginning was the Word. The Word's talking about Jesus because you get down to verse 14 and verse 14 says, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So we know who that is. That's Jesus. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. But John says he was in the beginning with God. And by the way, John says that Jesus and God are one and the same, writing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. So what happens when we go back and we read Genesis 1-1 and it says, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Guess what? Jesus was right there. Jesus was right there. In fact, he's the creating force of the universe. When God said in verse 3 in Genesis 1, let there be light. Guess what? Jesus is right there with God the Father. When God hung the sun and the moon in their respective places, Jesus is there. When God scattered the stars across the sky so that there would be light in the firmaments, Jesus was there. When God divided the waters that were upon the earth and he made the dry land to appear and made the oceans and the seas, Jesus is there. When God spoke and he created the great whales and every living creature that moveth, Jesus is there. He was there in the beginning. He is the beginning. And when God said this in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when God said, let us make man in our own image, and that talks about the blood flowing, shadow casting likeness, which we intend to become. And so why does man look like he does? Because this is the image God intended to take on when Jesus came to this earth. Let us make man in our image in the blood flowing, shadow casting likeness, which we intend to become pointing toward the incarnation. And he said, and after our likeness, who was God talking to? Well, he was talking to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was there. In fact, John chapter 3 and verse 3 tells us again that all things were made by him and was not anything made that was made. The eternal Jesus and listen to what the Apostle Paul says about him in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Verse 15, he's talking about Jesus. He calls him, or he says of him, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Those words firstborn talk about priority. They talk about sovereignty. 
Jesus is Lord. Jesus is sovereign over every creature. And he's saying that Jesus is prior to everything in creation and Jesus is over everything in the creation. And so we see his pre-existence long before December 25th, 2,000 years ago, okay? He says in verse 16, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Did you catch that? All things are created not just by him, but all things are created for him. And people look around today and they see what's going on in the world. And they say, oh, my, 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 what's this world coming to? i tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to Jesus. Amen. It's coming for him. It was created by him. And verse 17 says, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. That word consist means to cohere. Means to hold together. What he's saying is everything here, everything that we see, everything that we know is held together, is glued together by the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus not only created it all, he's keeping it together. All he has to do is remove his hand, folks, and it'll come apart. One of these days, we're going to see him remove restraints from man. We're going to be taken out of this world, and we're going to see just how evil man without God and without the restraining hand of the Lord Jesus Christ can get. And then verse 18, I especially like verse 18 in Colossians 1. He says, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. That word preeminence, by the way, has the idea of first place. You know who's to have preeminence in this church? And in every New Testament church? Jesus. Amen. By the way, when we meet together, Jesus is here, okay? He was there in the beginning. He is here right now and he is going to be here and we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But Jesus is here for where two or three are gathered together in my name. He said, there am I in the midst of them. But again, the scripture says Jesus is to have the preeminence. We're going to come back to that in just a moment also. And then he says in verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in him, that's Jesus, should all fullness dwell. Now that word fullness is an interesting word. It is the word pleroma. And you have to get into understanding a little bit of Gnosticism. It's the reason God led Paul to use this word because the Gnostics taught that Jesus really wasn't God. The Gnostics taught that Jesus was some kind of step down from God. He was actually some kind of an angel. He really wasn't divine. But God led Paul to use a word that said Jesus is the fullness of God, which means the sum total of divine powers and attributes. That's who Jesus is. All of the attributes of God, all of the power of God are in Jesus Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of God as deity. Jesus is the virgin born, only begotten son of God. He is yea, God in the flesh and it says it dwells in him, which means that it is permanently at home and settled down in him. You know, there's some that taught that Jesus didn't take on the characteristic of God until his baptism and lost it before his crucifixion. Well, if that's true, we don't have a Savior, folks. But because we have a virgin-born Savior who went to the cross and he is and was God and he died there for us, we have a Savior and his name is Jesus. There never was a time when Jesus was not the fullness of God and there never will be a time that Jesus is not the fullness of God. 
He is exactly who the Bible says he is. And then when God planned the eternal redemption of mankind, Jesus was there. Jesus was right there. Isaiah makes it clear that the one he's speaking of is the Messiah. And listen what he says about the Messiah, this one that God would send, this one who was to be born in Bethlehem, this one who was there at the beginning with God. Isaiah 53, 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. Calvary was not an emergency plan by God. It was God's design. Now, I don't understand everything about this, and I don't think you do either, but God, knowing that man would sin, went ahead and created man anyway. And God, knowing that he would have to pay the price for mankind's sin, went ahead and created man anyway. And God designed before he ever created man, because over in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verse 18, it tells us, and we'll read that in just a moment, but it tells us that before the foundation of the creation of the world, Jesus was in the mind of God, was already on the cross. God designed what we call the plan of salvation. God designed the sending of Jesus. God designed the suffering of Jesus on the cross before he ever made man. Isaiah 53, verse 7, he was oppressed, talking about Jesus, and he was afflicted. It says he was taken, and I think in verse 8, from prison and from judgment. Verse 9, and he made his grave with the wicked and the rich in his death. That was prophesied hundreds of years before Jesus ever came. Now either Isaiah was a really good prophet, or he got his information from God, and I believe he got his information from God. Isaiah 53, 5, the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed because of the sacrifice of Jesus. You and I are saved today because of our repentance toward God and faith in that sacrifice, in that price that Jesus paid. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18, for as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. That just says we got our sin nature from our fathers, okay? but with the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And listen to this in verse 20, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. We're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We sing that song, there's power in the blood. I've heard of preachers who wanted to, and I've heard of people who want to take the reference to the blood out of hymnals. I don't want to do that, folks. I want the blood. Without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins, the book of Hebrews says. We are under the blood. In fact, over our entranceway at our house on the outside, we did this years ago. In fact, in 2020, when COVID was going around and we couldn't meet for Easter Sunday service and somebody suggested it and I thought it was a good idea, we have a red cloth that goes across and hangs down on either side. You know what that says? This house is under the blood. And folks, under the blood means that we know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. Jesus is the eternal Jesus. He is God. But let's go back to Colossians 1 for just a moment. Because the Word of God says He is also to be the preeminent Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. I said that word preeminence means to be first. Means to be first in rank. Means to be first in his influence. It is from a word which is a contracted superlative and means foremost in time, in place, in order. In other words, 
God led Paul to write this, that Jesus is to be first in everything. He is to be, and we know he is, the head of the body, the church. And so in everything we do in this church, Jesus Christ must come first. If we're to be obedient to God, he must come. How do we bring glory to God? Now, you know I'd get around to this scripture. Unto him, unto God be glory in the church, what? By Christ Jesus. Throughout all ages, world without end. How do we glorify God as a church? By lifting up Jesus. Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men to me. And so as a church, we are to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in Sunday school, Wednesday night, in our worship services, in ladies' auxiliary, in everything. We have vacation Bible school in that. In everything that we do as a church, folks, in our fellowships as a church, Jesus must be lifted up. Amen. We saw last week in the message, if you remember it, if you have a memory like mine, you might not, but we saw last week in the message that Jesus desires to bring glory to God, doesn't he? That's the desire of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we lift up Jesus and he desires to bring glory to God, we're going to be bringing glory to God. We're not here to glorify men. We're not here to give men the preeminence. We are here to give the glory to God and to lift up Jesus Christ. You know, we just had some very beautiful music. We had some specials in that music, and they were beautiful. We should first acknowledge the talent and the ability that was given to that individual by God. Thank you, Lord, for giving these people who sang that ability, that talent to be able to sing. I love to try to sing. And you notice I said try. Texting back and forth with Sister Vicky yesterday, I said, I got one talent, I can talk. That's it. You know? <laughs> I try to sing, but I can talk. But thank God that he gave these people, our musicians, the ability to play instruments. And all of the, and Brother Rick, since he said amen, Brother Rick, the ability to lead and, and to put this together. We thank God for that, but we don't lift them up. It's okay to go up to them and say, you did a good job. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think we're elevating men when we do that. As long as we keep in our minds and in our hearts that this ability all came from God. You know, and you might figure I'd say this too. You know, it's even okay sometimes to tell the preacher you enjoyed the message. Not that I'm asking. <laughs> and it's okay to say amen sometimes. Amen. Thank you. I thought I'd ask for that one. Someone does a good work around the church. Thank them. But thank God first. Be thankful to the Lord Jesus first because Jesus is to have the preeminence. But not only in this church, Jesus is to have the preeminence in our daily lives. You know, that's one of the great things about being a child of God and, is that we can go out and give Jesus preeminence. In the hearts of his people, Jesus is to be number one. Too often, something else happens though, doesn't it? Schoolwork, just work, Hobbies, recreation, things that we want to do, sometimes just get in the way and commonly take first place in our lives. And that happens way too often today. You know, we're looking, I mentioned to the Sunday school class, we got to talking about the lame man, once he was healed, people noticed that there was a change in his life after he had healed. And I pointed out that, listen, after we're saved, there ought to be enough significant change in our lives that people will notice it 
especially when we're publicly professing Christ as Savior, that people will notice it and people will want to know what's going on. The scripture says those folks in Acts chapter 3 were amazed at what had happened. Hey, when's the last time somebody was amazed at my life or your life, huh? Because we lived like children of God, because we followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Too many times we let other things get in our way. Sometimes we let, and I'm going to meddle now, sometimes we let our feelings get in the way, don't we? Well, I just don't feel like a Christian today. Yeah, but you still are one, all right? But that's why Christ ought to be first in our lives. The world ought to see something in us. I shared with the Sunday school, I've got to tell this. I shared with the Sunday school class, I was going to Walmart the other day, and there's a lady out there ringing the bell. And uh, she was very nice. I don't know if complimenting, she thought complimenting me would get some money in the pot. I don't know. But she said, well, you're a distinguished looking gentleman. And I thought, well, I don't know why I look that way. And we talked a little bit, and she talked about, I told her my age, and we talked about how I get around. And I went through the store, and I thought, while I'm in there, I've got, I, I can't leave it that way. And I came back out, and I told this woman, I said, you, what you see right here is all because of the grace of God. Amen. I found out she was a believer also. And we just stood there by the Salvation Army kettle and talked for a little bit about the Lord and praised the Lord out there right in front of Walmart. You can do that, and people ought to see something in us, folks. God's people are too quiet today. We want to slip in and slip out of Albertsons. Or thought I'd get one in for you. And in and out of Albertsons or Walmart or something like that and just not have to really be a Christian, you know. Or talk about the Lord. Why? We have been saved by God and we're here to witness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what he says the Lord has done for us in Colossians chapter 1 verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. That's a pretty good description of a lost person. Alienated from God. Enemies to God. That's what the scripture says in Romans. But he says, you who were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled to God. One way to give Jesus the preeminence in our lives is just to obey him. John 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Isn't that simple? Isn't that so simple that we, just like the Jews with Micah 5, 2, we miss it sometimes. I want to elevate Jesus. I want to give him the preeminence. Well, obey him. Do what he says. Obey his word. And Colossians 1.18 says that in all things he might have the preeminence. Listen, if Jesus is God, and he is, and if Jesus is the only way of salvation, and he is, and if we declare his lordship over our lives, and we should, folks, it's not just a matter of belief. It must be a matter of daily practice. Amen. If Jesus is God, if Jesus is my Savior, if I desire to give him the preeminence daily, I must be willing to serve him, acknowledge him, and live for him. That's in our rising up. That's in our lying down. That's in our going from place to place. Jesus is to be number one. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Therefore, whatsoever you eat, whatsoever you drink, or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's what we are supposed to do. He's the eternal Jesus. He is the preeminent Jesus. And he's the coming Jesus. If the babe of Bethlehem had not grown up and become the Christ of the cross, as I said, we're still in our sin. 
And if the man on the middle cross did not rise from the dead and ascend into heaven, our problem still exists. And if the one who said, I will come again, cannot come again or will not come again, folks, we are without hope. Jesus said he would come again. John 14, 3, and I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there ye may be also. First Thessalonians, we're familiar with these verses. Chapter 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Acts chapter 1 verse 11. As Jesus ascended into heaven, those two men in white apparel that stood by. And I told you this recently, but I said, I can just imagine the disciples standing there. I heard a man telling about going with a friend to New York City. And they were sort of country boys from the south, you know. And he said, we better not let them know we're from out of town because we might get robbed. He said, we're not going to let them know. They got off a bus downtown New York City, and his friend looked up and said, will you look at that? That there's the Empire State Building. (laughs) He said, we just started handing out money. (laughs) So I can imagine the disciples standing there sort of like that. You know, they're just watching Jesus ascend, and these two men in white apparel, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as you've seen him go into heaven. He's coming back. He promised he would come back. And there's so many verses that talk about his coming. Jude verses 14 and 15 and Enoch. Also the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He's the coming Jesus. He's coming back. In fact, listen to what Jesus said in Revelation 3.21. He said, Behold, I come quickly. There's not going to be time to get ready for Jesus when he comes. We better live ready for Jesus, folks. If somebody's lost, they say, Well, I'll wait till the last minute and be saved. You may not have a last minute. And when Jesus comes, you won't have a last minute. He will appear in the clouds and we'll be caught up. And those who don't know him will be left upon this earth. Revelation 16, 15, he said, Behold, I come as a thief. How does a thief come? Suddenly, silently, quickly, without warning. The only place my car was ever broken into was at church. We were in an area where we were having some mischief going on. It would have been nice if that person had called me in advance and said, Look, I'm going to break into your car while you're at church because I might have been outside waiting on him. But he didn't do that. Thief comes without warning, and Jesus said, I come as a thief. We know and we can know the season of his coming, but we don't know the day and we don't know the hour. We better live ready. And then he said in Revelation 22 12, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Jesus is coming. And the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ is what sustains us, folks. The promise. See, we know that he's able to keep that promise. We know that he's going to keep that promise. And so the promise of his coming sustains us as believers. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Okay, that's first of all. It's there. 
We may need to share it with people, but people don't need to be ignorant. The grace of God's appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Listen to this, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. What does he say? How should he say we should live? We live looking for the coming of Jesus. Hey, did you get up this morning and think this could be the day? Two weeks from today is going to be the first day of a new year. Have you ever thought, what if 2023 is the year that the Lord returns? Or did you pray, Lord, may 2023 be the year that you return? And so we ought to get up just and live expectantly that this could be the day. And all of us who have trusted him as Savior need to make him Lord of our lives. And the word of God teaches us to pray and to look for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the eternal Jesus. He is the preeminent Jesus. He's to have first place. And he is the coming of Jesus. And we should pray even so, come Lord Jesus. So as we set about to celebrate Christmas this year, and we think about a baby that was born in a manger in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, don't forget that he grew up and he became the Christ of the cross. He went to the cross and he's our savior. We're to make him Lord of our lives and we are to look for his return. He's as eternal as the Father. And listen to this, he is filled with compassion for every person. The scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 that he's not willing that any should perish. The scripture says this, he said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward. That's why I think he has delayed his coming. He's long-suffering to us. We're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's heart's desire is that every man, woman, boy, and girl come to know Christ to save you. Some will reject him. We know that. I pray that no one here has or will reject Jesus as Savior. And then, for those of us who are saved, he's not unsympathetic. And I love that. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That just simply means that he's not unsympathetic toward us. It goes on to say, But was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows what you're going through right now. Amen. Jesus knows the fears in your heart. Jesus knows the sorrow in your heart. Jesus knows what you're going to face tomorrow. And he's not unsympathetic for us in that. So as we enjoy time with family and friends this Christmas season, and we're going to, I, I hope you get to, let's not forget the reason for the season, okay? And let's not fail to glorify God for sending and sacrificing and the soon coming of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, the eternal one, the preeminent one, and the coming one.